Welcome to Discastia, a podcast for parents and educators about the best way to support kids living with learning difficulties. I'm Bill Hansberry. And I'm Michael Shanahan. And today we're talking about dyscalculia or dyscalcula. But before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that we're casting to you today from the traditional lands of the Ghana people. So, Bill, how should we be pronouncing this? Dyscalculia, dyscalcula, what? Uh, it is dyscalculia or dyscalculia, depending on how you say it. The pronunciation yeah. varies, I find. But yeah. I've settled on dyscalculia. Me too. Do you know why? why? I just think it sounds cooler. C-A-L-C-U. Dyscalculia. You can almost say it with a French accent. Yeah. No, that's terrible. Dyscalculia. Dis- but I used to say dyscalculia. But anyway. Yeah, dis- I say dyscalculia. The important bit is the calc, yep. which comes from calculation to calculate. The yep. dis we now know. Yep. And the ear on the end, well, we know what that is as well. Mm. What is actually, hang on, the IA. I know it's acting as a suffix. Is it is just it- make it a, does it just make it a noun, mate? Because you can be dyscalculiac, dyscalculic, or dyslexic. Oh, anyway, look, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. Uh, the cal- difficulty, difficulty with maths. Yeah. Sometimes, difficulty with maths and numbers. Yes. Sometimes I say to people, we'll think about it as the dyslexia for maths. Yep. But then there's this crossover. You see kids with dyslexia yeah. Yeah. who have that symbol difficulty. Yep. So I, when I talk to teachers about this, I go, look, I don't actually know the crossover. Mm. Uh, because for some kids, dyslexia affects maths. For others, it completely does not. Yes. But anyway, let's well, just talk about language it. is a big part of maths. Oh, isn't that interesting? You know what? I was talking to a principal the other day. No, it was it was a principal, uh, a, a part of what I call the rebel tour of Catholic schools here in SA uh, who are heavily into science of reading. And mm. this principal got up and said, now that we are teaching reading better, we are seeing a natural kick-on into maths because you're right. The language yep. of mathematics is a barrier for kids with reading difficulties. Oh, it's a barrier for the world, isn't it? Yes. Like the, the language of the actual written language of maths, like yes. those written problems. It's the Greek, isn't it, we have to blame oh. for this? The most, um, well, there's the language of maths that is like descriptive language. You know, yes. This is a coefficient and so on. It's yes. a whole other language, right. which is the description of mathematics. Yep. But then there's also those word problems. Yep. And just the way, and not even word problems, just the way problems mm. are worded or yes. questions are worded yes. are some of the most difficult sentences to understand that is so from a literacy perspective. Yes. Um, now, rest his, rest his soul, um, uh, William Van Cleave. Hmm. Uh, I was watching one of his podcasts and he was saying, do you know how you get secondary teachers interested in syntax? He said, you pull out a science or a maths text and once you've explained the clause and complex sentence structure, you go, all right, have a look at this sentence in this worded mathematical problem and let's have a look at just how far apart, for instance, the subject and the predicate are. Because the maths question has been deliberately worded to make the reader have to discard information that's not important and work out what the important thing is. But as soon as you start to write maths problems like that, you are into complex sentences, which puts huge load on working memory because you have to hold in mind and kick out the non-important information. So... This so what we're talking about is how one important way that literacy affects mathematics. Aren't yeah, we? big impact, big, and huge impact. So also, I see dyslexia. So, you know, one of the compensation strategies 
people living with dyslexia often use is guessing words from mm. context. Yeah. Because otherwise you're too slow. And yeah. Pretty, you know, so you and you get good at it, and, and you, so it's a good yes. compensation. You know, it's a reasonably good compensation strategy. And can I add, if you've got a nervous teacher who is going, you have to be up to this many words a minute to move to the next level in whatever program, mm. the kid's being pushed to read yeah. faster. Yep. And if they've got a difficulty, they're just being pushed to yeah. guess more. Guess at Sorry, it. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. On. yeah. Guess at it to keep your fluency yes. up and so on. Avoid that humiliation. And the and teacher's not meaning to humiliate. Yep. They just know they're working in a program that a kid has to be reading a certain amount of words yep. per minute. Yep. Yeah, it's not deliberate humiliation. No, no. It's just human nature, yeah. isn't it? And so if you're if you've got that habit, and I don't know, maybe all people do to some degree mm. have a little bit of guessing in their what they're reading. Well, look, there's no doubt good readers are using context. Mm. But if we strike an unknown word, we are back in to decoding. Yeah. We're not guessing unknown or not yet seen words by context. Yeah. That's the crutch of context. That's what, what yeah. we don't want kids doing. Yeah. yeah, so I see this a lot where a kid reading a maths problem in guess mode mm -hmm. will turn a, a positive into a negative. Yeah. So it'll, yeah. you know, oh, God, now I've got to think of a question. <laughs> you know, um, which which yeah. block, yeah. you know, which bucket has the most in it might yes. be the question. Yes. Um, and a kid might read that as the bucket has the most in it. Gotcha. Yeah. And then they look at it and they go, what? I don't understand this. Yes. Yeah. Skip it. Move yeah. on to the next one. That the was just a statement of fact. The bucket like has it? the most in it. And then, then yeah. the answer might be yes. Like I you agree. Know, I but, concur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I do. Yeah. A simple little guess. Yeah, this for that one little this. change yes, right. in what you're reading. Yes, if you're guessing, yes, can completely flip a problem or completely mess it up. Now, if you're reading a story about you know someone walking down the street, you substitute this for that. Uh, it, it walking, doesn't walking it, for skipping, running, yeah, jumping. Yeah, it doesn't really change no. the outcome. You still get the story. You still get the meaning. And That's right. You could answer a comprehension question. Well, the child is walking instead yeah. of was. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But if the the word you flip is the cornerstone to the question, if Correct. it's how many and, yes. you know, you it is game over for something that else, yeah. then, then you're totally lost and you go into panic mode Yes, because you read that question incorrectly. Yes. You don't know that you've read it incorrectly. No. You look at the problem and because you're trying to solve a different question, uh -huh. you go, I have no idea. No. I don't understand this. Go into freak out mode move on to the next question yeah. or start saying to yourself, oh, I'm no good at maths. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. um, so I reckon that's wow. one impact of dyslexia on maths, the simple that reading the, component. There's no doubt. No, And any yep. teacher will tell you, as soon as they switch over into worded problems, and by the way, um, just as an aside, you've come across Singapore bar method? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, that what a powerful way to get kids to understand what to do, but that's based on the fact that kids can still read the question. Yeah. But anyway, word of problems cause issues for all kids, not just kids with SLDs. But yeah. okay, so So that's difficult. And I think while we're on it, yeah. It, I think it's a reasonable adjustment. Yes. Say you're doing a high stakes exam, like a year twelve exam. Yeah. To have someone read the question for you. Thank you. Because, agree more. because otherwise I'm not testing your mathematics, I'm testing, testing your reading. Go figure. Yeah. It's a no-brainer, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so I would take advantage of all of those um, compensations if yeah. you can because yeah. even if you don't use them, yes. you, they're still there for you in those high-stakes situations. 
And I find, and this is a, if you're a parent of a youngster who could, had the school is saying use these accommodations and the student and the kid's going, no, I don't want it because it's cheating, just get them to listen to us. Here's the message. <laughs> no, you're not cheating. Do you know why? Because you didn't start on a level playing field yeah, with right. your, you know, your non-dyslexic mm. uh, mates. Yeah. Right? You, you just got to accept you're kicking uphill against a strong wind and uh, the ball's flat. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so yes. use them. They're there to pump the ball up, level out the playing field and uh, get rid of the wind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole other yeah, it is, isn't a, it? A podcast. Accommodations and why yeah. kids don't go for them. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Um, okay. So dyscalculia. Okay. Num- it's, a, it's a difficulty with no- the basically the number system, isn't yep. it? It's the, yeah. And it's that lack of number sense. Yes. And, you know, kids living with dyscalculia make... Like, it's hard to describe it, but they make kind of gobsmacking mistakes yes, in maths yes. where it's just like, I can't even know, I don't even know where you got that from yeah. because they have such a fundamental lack of understanding yes. of what numbers are yes. and how they work. And what's bigger than what. Yep. And you just say, okay, so here's two plus three. Yep. And you say, do you know what two plus three is? And they go, uh... 23? Mm-hmm. Perfectly logical. Yeah, it's yeah. a 2 and a 3. Yeah. And you say, no, it's not 23. Have another go. They go, uh, 36? Yeah. So <laughs> it's like exactly. just wild guesses. Um, or teachers watch out for this one because <clears throat> um, you're talking about the skill of estimating. <clears throat> so one of the red flags for dyscalculia is a kid will go straight for the written algorithm. Um, so you might say to them, Michael, can you estimate 35 plus 22? Yeah. Now, uh, if you've got number sense, you can go there, right? But what discalculate kids do is immediately go for like writing it on the page, lining it up, and just going through the mechanics of it. Yep. Because if you have dyscalculia and you don't get magnitude of number, you can't estimate yep. well. Uh, That's you right. can't estimate. Yeah, and it's one of the uh, tests for dyscalculia yes. is subitizing. Yes. So subitizing is your ability to look at a group of something and dots, yeah. a group of dots yeah. and roughly know how many are there yep. at a glance at a know, glance. without necessarily counting them. You yes. can just look at them and go, oh, yeah, there's five, yes. there's six, there's seven. Yes. And kids living with dyscalculia or people living with dyscalculia find that particularly difficult. So when they test kids on these quick sabotizing tasks, there is a statistically significant difference. Again, we're talking about a bell curve between yep. kids with dyscalculia in the, the time it takes them to do that and kids, or, or sorry, individuals with dyscalculia and individuals without. Yep. So what's the brain mentally doing? If I show you a, a cluster of dots and I say how many at a glance, what is a typically developing mathematical brain doing that a dyscalculic brain is not? Well, there is a particular part of our brain that we use for numbers. Yep. So just like with reading, there are areas of the brain that we use for reading. Yes. You know, with our phonological awareness and so on. Yep. There's an area of your brain that is there naturally for numbers. Yep. And number sense is a thing that animals naturally have, mm-hmm. not just humans. Right. Because it's a survival thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, to be yep. able to spot three nuts yes. and know yes. that I'd rather take that yes. than the one nut because yes. I'm going to get more nutrition. Gotcha. Like this Magnitude. is Magnitude. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a good thing to Bigness. be able to have a sense of numbers. Yes. <laughs> and so there is a part of our brain that we use for that. And good mathematicians really develop that part of their brain uh-huh. and have it working really well. I didn't know that. Yeah. Now, kids living with dyscalculia yeah. don't use that part of their brain no. as efficiently. Right. 
And so just like dyslexia, although although it's a different part of the brain, it's still a similar mechanism yeah, yes. where for whatever reason with neurodiversity, that part of your brain hasn't been used and yeah. or it's difficult to use that part of your brain and yeah. so you find it tricky. So there's visual processing in the picture immediately. Mm. So um, a, a non-discalculate brain looks at a cluster of numbers and can immediately spot uh, a, an arrangement that looks like two and two, yep. even though they're a bit out. So they go four, bang. Yep. Um, can easily spot an array of an odd number if it's kind of loosely arranged in perhaps yeah. two dots, two yeah. bottom and one off to the side. Yeah. I think about this when I when I do my workshops around the 3Ds in schools. Um, so teachers, this is why, you know, any, any kind of progression, mathematical progression worth its salt talks about developing subitization early. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the mental representation of the number line. And we talked about this earlier, but not mm. on, not on, not live or not on this podcast, yeah. Michael. Uh, um, I was telling you, Glynis Hannell wrote a great book called Dyscalculia. And she stressed that the research tells us that part of dyscalculia is a poorly represented number line. So basically uh, being able to, well, not physically see a number line, but mentally conceive of a number line in your head, which automatically lets you know what's bigger than whatever. So if I quickly say to you, Michael, Michael, two numbers, I'll tell you two numbers, you tell me which one is bigger, seven and 12. Now, if you think about that, you need to somewhere along that process conceptualise, mentally conceptualise this number line and see 12 further on than seven, don't you? Yes. And if you can't do that, you're you're in trouble. Mm. So one thing this book said is we take number lines away from young people too early. Yeah. Um, we should have number lines everywhere we can have a number line. Yes. And then when we get kids into bits of numbers, fractions, frac meaning to break. Yeah. We go back to number lines. Number lines need to be part of that game as well. Yes. Because kids can then concretely see. Yeah. It's the physical representation, isn't it? It is the physical representation. And it's just like how we remediate dyslexia. Yep. Where school generally moves too fast. Yeah. So, It moves to the middle of the bell curve. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know... Yes, kids do do these physical representation of numbers mm. in the early years, yep. but before you know it, it's moved on. Yes. And now it's purely, yes. you know, it, it's assumed yes. that that knowledge is there and it's solid. Yes. And now we're just working with these squiggles, yes. these representation of numbers, yes. like letters represent sounds. But if you've got a shaky understanding of the numbers, just like dyslexia, you've got a shaky understanding of the sounds. Yes. If your understanding of the numbers isn't there, then these do just become squiggles on a page. They have no meaning. And you end up guessing. I've only just realised this now. It's like this whole guessing thing because what other choice have I got? I don't have any other strategy other than to guess what this might be because I don't have those squiggles lined up with what they actually mean. That's right. And the really tricky part of our number system is the whole place value system. That's the it's next kind of like the complication of the alphabet yeah. where this letter can represent four or five different sounds mm. depending on how it's used. Yes. Well, the digit two could either be two or 20 or, or 200 or, or two, point yeah. two or, you know. Uh, two tens, two hundreds, two yeah, thousands. exactly. So this same yeah, digit could represent right. something completely different oh. depending on where it's placed. What a world of hurt. <laughs> in a number. Yeah. And so the, unless you have that explicitly explained mm-hmm. and 
concretely explained. So not just conceptually explained, but you actually get out counters, yes. beans, blocks. Yes. You show how it works. Yes. You talk about this concept of value mm-hmm. that a digit, say the digit two, mm-hmm. could have a different value depending on where it is in a number. Now, what is this value thing? Mm. Like if someone doesn't actually explain to you what value means in that context, yeah. then how is the number system going to make sense? Absolutely. So I think there's these fundamental things um, that kids need to understand. And, you know, just like dyslexia, a lot of kids just understand them intuitively. Yeah. You know, the exposure that they have to those physical representations yes. is enough for them to make those links. Oh, Michael, I'm just But thinking, if it's not enough, then oh. you've got to go back there and do it. So now to add to my teacher guilt, I can recall in my teaching classroom teaching days what an awful teaching of reading and writing and spelling I was, and I can now add maths to that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, look, a victim of my training, number one. But, yeah, here we go. Um, so there's, it's pretty popular to teach math through discovery. Yep. Or inquiry. But what you're saying to me, Michael, um, Tierney Kennedy, incredible in this space, right? A lot of schools are working with Tierney Kennedy, talks about misconceptions mm-hmm. in mathematical process, yep. uh, things that kids misconceive get wrong. And you're just talking to me about, you know, if, where a number sits in a number. Um it is a hotbed for misconception, isn't it? If oh, we move kids yes. on from renaming, we used to call it carrying or regrouping. Yep. Or, but I don't believe long enough is spent on that. And, yeah. do you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, I don't care whether you teach high-level high school maths or you teach uh, reception, uh, I reckon every classroom needs a big place value chart yeah. and number yeah. lines all around yeah. the place because it will harm no one. And yeah. it will help a lot of your kids. Yeah, that's right. So the number line for me is like the alphabet. Yeah. You know, it's that fundamental. Yes. You know, yes. bigger and smaller. Yes. Is is what maths is about, it, it is <laughs> isn't it? So if, you, so if you don't have that, some sort of representation of that, yeah. and that these digits, yeah. these little squiggles, yeah. actually represent a physical number. Yes. And what is a physical number? Yes. So it is quite complicated. Because there's three things that a number can be. Yes. So it can either be a count, so we can count stuff. Uh Well, there's four things that we use numbers for. So we can either count things like one, two, three, Uh or we use numbers to represent value. Like we just add a number to say this is worth that. Okay. And this is where money becomes difficult. Right. Because you can have a $10 note that's worth $10, but there's not 10 of them. Like you can't, huh. it's a separate thing to counting. Yeah. And then there's measurement. We use numbers to measure stuff. So how hot is it? How long is it? How mm-hmm. wide is it? Mm-hmm. Which is su- subtly different from counting. Yeah. Because you can measure, you know, compare weights and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then we also use numbers for labels where they're not numbers at all. Like an, a, a number plate or a phone number. Yeah. They're, these are numbers that are actually not resent, representing quantities no. at all. Oh. So that's really confusing. Far out. So if someone hasn't actually explained that to you, no. what conclusions are you drawing in your head about oh. what these things are? Yes. So I, I kind of see that as the fundamentals like the alphabet, that letters represent sounds, that you've got to artificially break this up. This is kind of the dyscalculia equivalent to that for me. I think that's a really nice way to put it. Okay, the four basic processes 
addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Because mm-hmm. this is another thing. If we've got a student, well, all students, but dyscalculate kids have all sorts of misconceptions about what it is. Well, adding's not so hard to conceptualise, but then it is quite complex when you look at it. Subtraction is, uh, again, Glynis Hannell's book, Dyscalculia, made me think about subtraction in an entirely different way, and she explains it. Uh, it's not enough to talk about it as perhaps the inverse of addition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's multiplication, which is like the cousin of addition. It's just the repeating of addition. And then one of my biggest takeaways from this book was thinking about division as repeated subtraction. Yeah. Because division is the most, and I'll stick my hand up here as well as guilty, the most poorly taught of the four mathematical operations mm. because you can talk about it as sharing, grouping, and now you can conceptualise it as re- the repeated d- a subtraction of a particular number right down to zero if that's where we're stopping. Mm. And this is where that whole language issue comes in. Yes, right. So many different names for the same thing uh-huh. can make it really confusing. Unless you learn those names. Well, and that's another way that uh, curveballs are thrown to kids in mathematical assessment questions. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about multiplication, product Mm. multiplied by, times by, and on we go. Lots of. Lots of. Groups of. Um, Find the quotient. Oh, (laughs) far out. Yes, I'm just getting my head around that. The dividend, the divisor, and the quotient in in a... So, wow. I mean... It's really kind. It's a whole other language. How many kids do you work with who really have no solid concept of division? Yeah, most of them. It's the it's, it's the usual suspect, one. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's really hard. I once had a kid, a dyslexic youngster, who now is grown up into a very successful adult. He came to me one year, and Mum said, "Now check this out. One, t- if you can, listener, if you can imagine those division frames we use." So we're dividing a number by a number. Let's just say we've got threes into 36. So the three stands and then there's like a curved line that looks like looks like the outer um, bracket and then the line across the top. So one teacher had got the division frame to be the curved smiley line in across the top where the answer went on top. Mm-hmm. Next teacher had a different looking division frame, which was just a, two right angled lines. And this threw Josh out. He thought oh, he was dealing okay. with a completely different operation. Because it wasn't curved. No, that's right. It looked different. Yeah. Um, and, and this was fixed. This was a great teacher. This was fixed by an email to the teacher just going, need you to be aware that for Josh, he thinks he's dealing with something different. Yeah. Can he continue to use that curved line yeah. which sits to the right of the divisor? Is that right, Michael? <laughs> Don't ask the, me. The, the dividend <laughs> yeah. is the number that you are dividing, the, yeah, that sat to the right of the divisor. Can that just be the curved line because yeah. Josh reckons this is different? Yeah. But you don't think about that, do you? No. Right. You don't those think that's tiny such a simple thing can throw a kid. Because we yeah. take it for granted. That's right. So dyscalculia, I, you know, for me, the way to tackle it mm. is to go back to physical representation. Absolutely. Physical representation of these mathematical concepts and drill that yep. until it's absolutely solid. Yeah. Like you actually can see physically yes. what you're doing. Yes. You know, for place value, for example. Yes. On the table, I have the columns. Yes. And we use, um, I use matchsticks yep. just because ice cream sticks are too big. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I use little matchsticks yeah. and we put them into bundles of 10. Got rubber bands. Bundles of 100. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, we actually have physical representation of it. 
But I also talk to kids in terms of, just like we were talking about literacy and the history of the printer and why it's like this and why it's complicated. So I talk to kids about, well, why do we have this place value thing? Mm-hmm. Like, why do we do it? What a good question to ask. Yeah, what, what's the point of it? Yeah. And it's because we only have 10 digits. So if you've only got 10 digits... Hang on, you're talking about yeah. our hands, right? Well, 10 fingers. Oh, yeah, yeah. but, but 10, 10 fingers digits, and yes. 10 digits gotcha. in our number system. Hang on, is there a... They call your fingers digits. Yeah, that's anyway, right. Keep going. Yeah, well, that's where I came from. Right. Well, that's... It's generally thought we have base 10 system because we have 10 fingers. Thank goodness we ch- we changed that in the... When was 1968 or something? We changed the decimal? And, oh, yeah. Because our grandparents had to deal with... Sixteenths and twelfths and yeah. all sorts of random base. And clocks are still based on that. Well, base 12, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm pretty sure it's the Egyptians that had base 12. Is that right? And where base 12 comes from is the joints in your fingers. It's still based on finger counting. Get out of here. Still based on finger counting, but they use their thumb. Check this out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Now, what Michael's just done, because you can't see it, is he's started off by touching the top of his thumb to his index finger. That's one. Then he's moved his thumb down to his first joint on that index finger. Two. Then moved thumb to the next joint. Three. And then moved to the next finger. Mm -hmm. Tip of the next finger. Four. First joint. Five. Second joint. Six. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, just that. that, And so that whole number system's based on 12. Because of the hand. Because of the hand. There's 12 hours in a day. And so it's like this whole 12-base number system. Right. Um, We could use that. We could. We could work with that system. But it breaks down because... It becomes difficult. It it gets hard. Because the kids I work with don't... I I say to them, you know, we're working in this really cool number system. We call it base 10 because everything is about lots of 10, going up in lots of 10 or going back Mm. in lots of 10. Um, And your grandparents probably had to deal with a system that didn't do this. And just saying to kids, you know the cool thing about base 10 is um, if if we start at 10... And I go add 10 to that, we end up at 20 two tens and no ones or units. And mm. if we add 10 to that, we end up at 30 three tens and no units. And this just makes it really tidy. So if I go to you, Michael, 27 plus 10, you know we're going to go to 37. Yeah. And then 47. So that that unit is going to stay stable, but the tens mm. are going to go And kids go... Oh, <laughs> it's a beautiful system. Because if you work base 12, both of those values are going to change, mm. aren't they? Not just yeah. one of them. Yeah. Oh, gee, I put that poorly. No, but no, anyway. it was beautiful. Oh, was it? So, thank you, sir. I, I explain that to kids and I go through an exploration of that. Right. And I even sit down with them and try and come up with a number system. Like, let's forget about 10 digits. Let's, let's invent lo- one. look at these beans and say, how could we count them? And so we look at Roman numerals, for example. Uh huh. And say, so well, check this out. Here's how the Romans used to do it. Yeah. But look how hard it gets. And look how many symbols you have to add in. Right. Like it's a really complicated system. So teachers do not teach Roman numerals unless you're going to go there because I see kids come in <laughs> with Roman numeral worksheets <laughs> and I know there's been no teaching and the kids can't as, as if like normal numbers aren't hard enough, you know. Yeah. yeah. So like just generally talking about that. Yeah. And so then talking about, well, here's another system. It's the base 10 system. Yeah. You know, with place values, yeah. here's how this system works. But it's all, they're all just systems. Yes. 
with a purpose and a meaning. And the reason why we use this system is because it's so efficient. Because it lightens cognitive yeah. We only need these 10 digits and we can make any, yes. we can represent any number. Pity the alphabet isn't that simple. Mm. Anyway. So, I mean, this is all mushed up together. You know, yeah, this yeah. is done in a sequential way. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think that that fundamental stuff, you know, I don't think there's enough time in no, school no. to go through those fundamentals. And I know if you look in textbooks, it's there. Yes. You know, kids yes. do Roman numerals. They yes. do the number system every year and it's repeated. Yeah. But I think the difference is when I'm sitting one-on-one with a kid living with dyscalculia, mm. we might need to spend a whole term just understanding place values. Yeah. You if know you what I mean? Have, like, if you don't have place it, value, you can't read big numbers. Yeah. And you can't do that in a school. No. You know, with a year four, you can't sit down and spend a term. No. No, you <laughs> just can't. Just on place value. And but you so, can teach all of your kids better. Again, mm, here we cycle back yeah, to this. Yep. You can go there early in the bit instead of having kids, I'm going to say it, inquiring their way to these insights, which very rarely kids do. Again, it's fraught with misconception. If we're teaching mathematics, I think we need to be very, very clear on where we're taking kids because, look, inquiry has its place, but it doesn't have a low effect size Mm. for no reason. Yes, when you look at Hattie's effect sizes, yeah. it just leaves in so many settings, it leaves too much room for a young person to come up with or get the wrong idea about things. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, have we explained dyscalculia? Well, it's a bit of a mishmash, isn't okay, it? Because we've it, been summarize. talking about how do you, what do you do with it? teach yeah. it, how do you yeah. remediate it, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I think part of the issue with this is that there is way less research that's been done right. into dyscalculia than yeah. dyslexia. Yeah. You know, it's generally touted out there that it's 20 years behind in the science is that right? of remediating it and working out what it is and what causes it do, and so on. Do you on. want to know why? Why? Because it's it's very socially appropriate for someone to say, you know, I've never got numbers. I just don't yeah. have a head for numbers, right? Yep. You'll hear that. Yes. It's almost accepted that a huge part of the population will be poor with number. Yep. How often do you hear a, go, a person saying, you know, I just don't get letters and sounds. I'm yeah. real trouble with <laughs> yeah, it. That's right. So it's far more socially acceptable to talk about a disorder of mathematics than yeah. it is a disorder of reading. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one yeah, reason. And so it's, it's not, there's not such a big driver behind it. Because so it's expected that, that a huge percentage of the population will just not get maths. Yep. But yeah. It's a, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so. to, to summarise, what is it? Uh, Discalculate people have difficulty uh, recognising how many quickly, which mm-hmm. is subitizing, which then kicks on to difficulty with magnitude, poorly represented mental number lines. So this is why we banged on about having number lines in classrooms, which then kicks on to if you don't get the bigness of numbers, you don't estimate well and you don't do a heap of other things and place value is is going to be difficult as well because if you don't get basic magnitude, you are gone for place value. Hmm. And our system works on place value. Place yep. value is what lightens the cognitive load around large values. Yes. Um, and they're, they're, the, they're the places I tell people who are in intervention space. Now, I'm by no means a, a, a maths expert, wouldn't even come close to saying that, but when I get my kids in with the math difficulties, uh, sorry, and the four processes, yes. making sure they understand what they are and seeing the links between them, but I yeah. go to work on number line, place value, uh, and making sure they understand the four operations. Yep. And and for me, physical representations Physi- you con- of concretely, all of that. yes, back concretely, from the abstract, actually show it yes. with beans yes. or counters, yes, and get that solid, yes, before you move to the number 
yes. or digit representation yep. of it. And th- I think there's even a step in between there. So generally I would work with actual physical things, cutting up pieces of paper, mm-hmm. counting beans, whatever, mm-hmm. till that's solid. And then I would move to a pictorial representation of that. So then we do the same thing, but it's pictures of it right. on a page. Or we might do it on the table here, you know, the table I've got, it's like yeah. a whiteboard table, yes. where instead of actually using beans, yes. we might draw beans. So it goes from being a manipulative yep. to a non-manipulative but still visually represented. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then from there to actual using numbers to represent it. Yep. So that it's really solidly embedded. Yes. And so when you're doing the numbers, you actually have a mental picture okay. of what it is you're doing and why. Now you're talking about what the experts or the psychologists call the visuospatial sketchpad. Mm. That mental sketchpad where some people have a really, really strong one, where if you asked me to do a complex math task, I can actually visualise carrying the one. Mm, and they will it. hold stable. I don't yeah. do that, by the way. Yeah. But so that's, yeah, that's, now that, if I understand right, I don't think that's very strong in people with dyscalculia either. They don't have a very reliable visuospatial no, sketch that, pad. that mental representation. Yes. That's why it's important to do that concrete representation of it gotcha. and get it solid. Yep. And then, it, you know, it's really amazing working with kids who can get a total understanding of something if, we're, if I'm using blocks. Yeah. And then all I do mm-hmm. is turn those real blocks into pictures of blocks mm-hmm. and they're lost. They're lost. So you go back <laughs> to physical blocks yeah. again. Yeah, and it's like then you have them side by side. Yeah. So it's like, see this? Yeah. This little dot on the page is representing this. Yeah. And we do both at the same time yeah. until we can make that bridge. And then it's another bridge then to the numbers. There's something implicit which I want to make explicit in what you've talked about, Michael, and it's true for writing reading and mathematical mathematics, there are no shortcuts through certain developmental stages. Mm. If you're doing maths, you don't get in, you, you don't do good work with numbers unless you can do all these lower level processes, unless you can visualise the number line, unless you understand place value, et cetera, et cetera. Reading, you don't get to, to easy word storage and fluent comprehending reading unless you've got strong phonological awareness and good phonic knowledge. and morphological knowledge and that sort of stuff as well. And you don't become a good writer unless those, unless you are, if it's handwriting, gripping a pencil properly, sitting correctly, and you have got good formation. There's just no magic in any of this, Mm. I'm afraid. It's hard work and practice to get that automaticity, to free up the cognitive space to actually think about what you're doing. That's right. Not just have it all eaten up by forming the letter or working out, you know, what does this mean? Yeah. So I think with maths and numbers, you know, if we're talking about equivalence mm-hmm. with literacy, mm-hmm. so, you know, with literacy you need to get really good and quick at learning letter sounds yep. and the sounds they represent. Yep. Yes, you have to get good and quick with that in maths, but I think the basic maths facts would be an equivalent to that of numbers Time. that add up to 10. Time. Yes, that's right. Your so, tables. you know, 5 and 5, 6 and 4, 7 yeah. and 3, yeah. 8 and 2, yep. 1 and 9. I'm working on a, with a yeah. high school kid on just those at the moment. Unless they're automatic, yeah. then you're spending so much of your cognitive Space. Capacity, capacity trying to work out what's 7 plus 3, <laughs> learning the doubles, <sighs> the near doubles. That's right. Like these really basic strategies, mental math strategies, and unfortunately, facts 
that need to be learned because mm-hmm. the more facts that you learn, the more automatic they become. Yes. The more space you've got to then do the actual thinking and problem solving. Michael, automaticity is the name of the game here. Yeah. If we were going to, I mean, we've gone down this rabbit hole. When you and I are trained as teachers, I don't know about you, but anything that resembled drill or rote learning of anything was absolutely maligned, if that's the term. It was it was seen as, you know, rows, rote learning, because uh, constructivism <laughs> yeah. or constructivist learning was big then. Well, but, I had it as punishment. You'd yeah. have to write lines. Right, yes. <laughs> what we are talking about is a reconceptualising of this uh, multiple repeated exposure stuff, this high-frequency practice, this review, as a process by which a learner makes certain processes automatic. Mm. Um, what's the other term? A precognitive. So you can do these things without having to think about them. And if you can, if you can automatize these things, then you are then free with more brain space to think about yeah. the higher order stuff. And yeah. this is true. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about writing, reading, or doing maths, or the combination of three. Of mm. all, we must have certain tasks automatized and bedded down because working memory is a finite resource. Yeah, for everyone. For well, everyone. That's interesting. You say that was your experience when you were a teacher because mine was the opposite. Right. But. Mine was the opposite because I studied as a PE teacher. Well, so did I. Oh, did you? A primary PE yeah. teacher, Well, yes. mine was secondary PE. Right. And it was all about practice, practice, whole practice. Whole part, whole. Yeah, whole yeah, part, whole. So yeah. you take a complex skill. And you break it up. And you break it down into its component parts. So you demonstrate the whole skill. Yep. You say, hey, here's what a good shot look. here's what a good forehand looks like. Yeah. But before you do that... You got to practice your grip. Your backswing. Here's your grip. Yes, that's so right. So let's practice picking up the racket yes. fifty times yes. until you're picking it up and you've got your grip right and you know the feel. Continental grip. Yeah, ah, that's right. See, yeah, and yeah. now you got to practice just the back, the backswing yes, part of it. Yes. So, in physical education, we absolutely don't shy away from the drilling. No. To become automatic because we know it's essential. Yes. Because you've got to get to the point where your forearm or whatever, your forehand or whatever it is, is automatic. Yes. Because otherwise you've got no brain capacity to be looking at where your opponent is where or are what's they? the strategy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, PE teachers listening out here, you've got a lot to offer. <laughs> two, two of us, Michael and I are both trained PE teachers. <laughs> so, why the dis? So, how does this. this this break occur in schools. PE teacher understands you take a complex skill into its parts, yet in the very same school, um, we've got a, a, you know a, a less trained teacher of literacy I getting kids to guess at words from context maybe and magically the, store them. Maybe it's because it, maybe it's a motivation thing, like trying to keep kids interested and keep their attention. I think that can and be so a you vary it, and you, and you don't want to. You know, that repetition's boring and it's hard to manage a class who doesn't want to do the repetition. Which is a myth, by the way. The classes I see using using models of explicit direct instruction or just, or direct instruction, these are some of the most engaged kids I've seen. Mm-hmm. You know, teachers go, I thought this would bore them. They love it. Do you know why? Because they can do it because yeah. we teach it well. well anyway. Interesting. See, and I also trained to be a drama teacher. Right. And if you think about 
drilling there. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's a rehearsal, isn't it? My word like, is. I learn my lines. Through multiple exposure. And every movement and every step that I'm going to take and play over and over. is rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed until it's so automatic. Yeah. I don't have to think about it anymore. No. So now I can act. I can now concentrate on thinking that sad thought to cry when I have to cry. Yeah. Or <laughs> I need to pick up the pace or whatever. <laughs> Because it frees up. That's why, you know, you've got to do that rehearsal. I think it's the same thing. That's why I think people don't learn differently. This is the process, isn't it? This is how you learn skills. Michael, we have gone to places we did not anticipate here. (laughs) So, uh, listener, you got more than you signed up for because we were just supposed to be talking about the names or the labels that we give learning differences, difficulties, disorders, or disabilities, but look where we went. You've for for no extra cost. <laughs> you've got Michael's and Bill's view on what should be taught in schools, how it should be taught. But do you know what? You can bet your bottom dollar that we we actually do most of the time know what we're talking about because we work in the space with these kids. Doesn't make us experts, but no, that's right. We're and not making this stuff yes, this stuff up, Michael. Yep. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not claiming to be you know, some world expert. I'm just sharing what I do and my thought processes. But I suppose it does come with a level of experience of, Mm. I mean, we have the advantage. So let's say as a parent, before I started being a tutor, all I had was my kids who both live with dyslexia. My daughter lives with dyslexia. This is how I got into it. Your sample size of N equals two. Yeah, and so it's easy to think, okay, well, that's typical. Yeah. But I've learned so much now seeing lots and lots mm. and lots of kids mm. and realising how much nuance there is to it and, yeah. you know, how there are differences and how no two kids are the same. No, no. And while, you know, I say here's my approach and this is how I do it, actually I do it differently for every kid because yes. it doesn't. there isn't a formula to say, well, do this and it's going to work because every kid's different. But there is a progression that's common. Yes, yes. absolutely, yes. There, because there is a set of quantifiable set of skills mm. that you need. You just learn different ways to put things, don't you? Yeah, yeah. different ways to present it. Yeah. You know, you need to go slower with some kids. Yes. Some kids will get bored if you go that slow. Yeah, that's Like right. it's a whole, you know, so you can't just say do it like this. No. Like you you say, well, you can, you can. And they go, why you go? (laughs) Because I'm really smart. (laughs) And you wink at them and hope they believe you. Because I've made all the mistakes. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) My experience is that's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. But, mate, feel free to work it out for yourself. It's just going to take us a few weeks. Well, should we – is there anything we've missed, Michael, or – I don't think so. Should we wrap it up there? I reckon, in summary, it's complicated. Yes, and difficult to define. And just when you think you've got your head around it, you haven't? Yep. Something new comes along or yep. some new experience happens. It's And because it's complicated, I think as a parent or a teacher, it's quite scary. It is. You know, and it's like, you know, we all want to do the best by Absolutely kids. Absolutely we do. And it's like, you know, you think of the busyness of a day and how much time have you got and how, you know, how do mm. I learn all this mm. stuff because mm. it's such a whole new world. Yes. Because if, if you don't know someone who lives with a learning difficulty mm. or 
you know, have one yourself, mm. it is, really is a whole new thing. It, it is. And uh, look, that makes me think teachers, number one, teachers, because we all so desperately want to help kids. I, I just want you to think about this. You you may have picked up a bit bits and pieces and we always go, oh, I'm going to go away and do that. But listen, if, you, if there is something you've picked up from our conversation, just change one thing because we all know what happens when we make a promise to all of a sudden run 10Ks a day, <laughs> drink no red wine and give up chocolate all at one time. We end up doing none of that. So manage your own cognitive load if there's something in this teachers. Don't do anything and mull on it. Parents of kids with learning difficulties, you need to understand, I think, to go easy on us mm. educators because yeah. we, only, we don't know what we don't know. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't push. And we, we, when we talk to Dr. Sandra Marshall, uh, we're going to get into parent advocacy, aren't we, in an yes. upcoming podcast? Yes. Well, actually, it's our next podcast. Oh, we're that's talking actually, to Sandra Marshall. That's good to know. Well, that's really good to know. So Dr. Sandra Marshall is the president of Code Red, um, probably the eminent Australian um, lob will group that uh, have advocated for people with dyslexia and getting some change. And I'll tell you what, Michael, if there's anyone that balances that kind of pushing uh, or supporting the slap and soothe, as I like mm. to call it, <laughs> it, it is Dr. Sandra Marshall. She is um, a force to be reckoned with, but very fair and reasonable at the same time. And I think that's why uh, Dr. Sandra's work uh, and the work of people who have been organised, who have been wrapped up with Code Red have got us so very, very far in this country. Yeah. I can't wait to talk to her because as a parent, this is what you want to try and do, isn't it? Yeah, you want right. to advocate for your kids, but mm -hmm. how do you do it? Particularly yeah. if you don't even know how the education system works. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, me too. So... Um, like always, thank you for listening to us. And again, we, we always end with this, but we do <laughs> sincerely hope we were helpful and not awfully misleading. If you want to check out the references uh, or follow us on social media, uh, visit discastia.com. That's D-Y-S-C-A-S-T-I-A.com where you will find more information and our other episodes. So um, let's hold on for next week, Michael, yeah, when we brilliant. have the incredible Dr. Sandra Marshall with us. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Bill, once again. Thank you very much, Michael. See you later, everybody. See you, everyone.